Welcome to the study of God's Word with pastor and author Ed Taylor, recorded live from Calvary Chapel in Aurora, Colorado. To learn more about the many resources available through Abounding Grace Media, visit us online at calvaryaurora.org or download our free app on all platforms. And now, here's Pastor Ed to take us into our study. Amen. Would you please open your Bibles to Hebrews chapter 4? as we continue our study through the book of Hebrews in a Bible study today that I've entitled, The Bible is Living and Powerful. So pick up with me in verse 11 in Hebrews chapter 4, where it says, Let us therefore be diligent to enter that rest, lest anyone fall after the same example of disobedience. For the word of God is living and powerful, sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing even to the division of soul and spirit and of joints and marrow and as a discerner of the thoughts and the intents of the heart. And there is no creature hidden from his sight, but all things are naked and open to the eyes of him to whom we must give account. I really love this section of Hebrews because we're learning about the rest of God that's promised to us, a real rest of God that's only found in a real relationship with Jesus Christ, the Savior of the world. We've learned that true rest of God is not found in the promised land, in the physical land of Israel. It's not found in a religious system. It's not found in Judaism. It's not found in following a leader. It's not found in some doctrine. It's not found in some interpretation of doctrine. It's not found in some special knowledge. Real rest is found only in a person and his name is Jesus Christ. And we're learning with the Hebrews here that they're being tempted to turn back away from Jesus. And I'm always encouraged that God would give us his word and connect us with a group of people separated by a couple thousand years that were going through the same thing that we go through. Now, the reason why might be different, but there's always that temptation to go backwards And that's where they're faced. They want to leave the true rest of Jesus Christ. And I wonder how many listening to me today are really tempted to leave the rest that is yours in Jesus Christ to go do something else in this world, in this culture. To turn away from Jesus Christ to do your own thing once again. To turn away from Jesus Christ and perhaps even to create your own little religion with your own little idolatry, which we never really think of, but really when you turn your back on Jesus Christ, something or someone is going to fill that void. We as believers are promised rest. Remember what Jesus said? Jesus said to those that are weary and heavy laden, he says, come unto me and I will give you rest. He promises it to us. And we as believers have a rest that's promised, a place, a position, where we're no longer striving. We're no longer trying to perform a certain way to follow a certain list of rules and regulations, to gain acceptance from God, where we learn that we're not saved by works. Or notice in verse 10, we come to the place where whoever has entered into his rest has ceased from his works. You're not trying to relate to God anymore by your good works. And the way it works really, if you're a person that relates to God by good works and bad works, then you're a person that has good days and bad days. And specifically related to your work. So, so for example, if you feel like, if you feel, and I emphasize that word feel, if you feel like that you've read your Bible enough and that you've prayed enough 
and that you've done your religious duties enough for that particular day, if you feel like you've done well, then you're going to feel like you have a good day. But if you skip your devotions, perhaps, or you skip out on church for a few weeks, or you're, you, you're not, oh, you're not, you haven't prayed the way that you wanted to, then you're going to relate to God feeling bad. But see, God loves you even if you don't read your Bible. And God loves you even if you don't show up to church. And God loves you even if you don't pray. Now, if we choose not to cooperate with God in those areas, we're going to suffer the consequences because the flesh, our flesh, will never lead to spiritual good. The Bible says, I know that in me, in my flesh, no good thing dwells. And so the activities of the believer come from God not trying to gain acceptance from God. In Jesus Christ today, if you've been born again, you are perfectly loved by God. And he accepts you. And he receives you. And he wants to be in fellowship with you. But if you continue on in trying to work your way to God, you continue on trying to be better than the next guy, uh, you know, because sometimes you, you're like, well, I'm not as bad as so-and-so. And all you're doing is comparing yourself to the next guy. But God doesn't want you to, he wants you to cease from works to rest in him. And it's in the rest of God that I find my hope and my help. And what a blessing it is to have the peace of God and the rest of God in this absolutely upside down, crazy, restless world. A true peace is very appreciated. And the peace and rest that's offered by this world is just a wretched, empty imitation. Oh, hey, drink this substance and you will drown your sorrows. Take this pill, smoke this joint, hang out in this club, go party over here, get involved. You've got all these options the world offers to give you a temporary diversion that is no peace at all. But for the believer especially, just lops on more and more condemnation and guilt in our lives for what this world has to offer, it's not true peace and it's not true rest. So what does the author tell us today? Paul says in verse 11, then let us therefore be diligent to enter in to that rest, lest anyone fall after the same example of disobedience. So not entering in and enjoying the rest of God is equated to disobedience, to the wilderness wandering, where you never, you're given all the energy and all the effort, but you're never arriving at the promise of God. You're never arriving at the peace of God. And he says, so let's be diligent to enter in. Now, for some of you, you might have a problem with this because it seems a little contradictory. Rest and be diligent to enter in. Rest speaks to us. You know, when we think of the word rest, I have one word. When I think of the word rest, I think of a good nap. A nap. You know, when we were little kids, we hated naps. I bet you don't hate them now. I bet you try to get a nap as much as you can. I'm certain some people are napping right now while I'm talking. Because <laughs> you're just tired. It's been a long week. It's got all kinds of going on. Man, we want it. So when I think of rest, I, I think of just unplugging, taking a nap, kicking back, not thinking about anything. And, and that is a good definition of rest, but it's not the biblical definition of rest. The biblical definition of rest really could be equated to faith, living a life of trusting God in all circumstances, trusting in the promises of his word, trusting that he's with us and for us. The rest of God 
is living not a passive life, but really an active life. And that it's important that we diligently guard the rest of God because there's so many things that are trying to rip us off from our peace and our joy. So many things to distract us and divert us that aren't even sinful. They're just life and life's issues. There are bills to pay and kids to raise and retirements to be concerned about and a flat tire and, and so many things that just boom, boom, boom constantly. And there's some little things, there's some big things, but we're all facing things in life. And the rest of God is something that we need to diligently enter into all the time. Otherwise, we'll be in a state of disobedience. Peter said the same thing. Would you turn over in your Bibles to 2 Peter chapter 1? It'll be to your right from Hebrews, 2 Peter chapter 1. Peter said something very similar. And I think as you study all of the, the writers of the New Testament, the Holy Spirit was giving the same instruction to diligently cooperate with God, to give yourself, to give forth effort and energy in your relationship with God. Because I know today there are those that would say, well, you know, just let the Holy Spirit lead you. We'll just let the Holy Spirit convince you. And listen, the Holy Spirit does lead and you need to be led by the Holy Spirit. And the Holy Spirit does convince and we want to be convinced by the Holy Spirit, but that does not mean we're passive. That doesn't mean we just sit back and not cooperate with God or not obey God. The word of God is very clear that we're to diligently, actively build up our faith and to obey God. Notice verse 5, 2 Peter chapter 1. But also for this very reason, giving all diligence add to your faith virtue and to virtue knowledge, to knowledge self-control, to self-control perseverance, to perseverance godliness, to godliness brotherly kindness, and to brotherly kindness love. Verse eight, for if these things are yours and abound, you'll neither be barren nor unfruitful in the knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. He who lacks these things is short-sighted even to blindness and has forgotten that he was purged from his old sins. He says, for this reason. Well, what reason is that? Verse three, as his divine power is given to us all things pertaining to life and godliness. Because you're born again, because the very power of God is in you. All of the resources of God are available to you because the grace of God surrounds you. Because God has put you in a position now that you're a new creation in Christ, old things have passed away, behold, all things have become new, now let's get on with it and add to our lives. Let's obey God, let's walk in his wisdom, let's add to our lives and add to our faith. Why? Because because when we do add to our faith and diligently enter in, we enter into the fullness of our relationship with God, to the fullness, giving all diligence, its effort and energy in living our lives for Jesus Christ. It's possible to be a Christian, you know, and to love Jesus Christ and his word, but still be useless and unprofitable for the kingdom of God. Think about that. I think if today we put a poll out, uh, we, we gave you a piece of paper or we put some electronic thing up on the screen and we just asked this question. Okay, church, how many of you really want to be useless and unprofitable in the hands of God? I mean, the numbers will be astronomical. 99.9% .9 of people listening to me say, of course I want to be useful. Of course I want to be profitable. I want my life to matter. I want, my, I want life, my life to have a purpose, something that outlasts me, something that's eternal. And yet, many today within the body of Christ are not useful in the hands of God. 
they aren't bearing fruit for the kingdom. You could say that you're a branch or you have branches in your life right now that aren't bearing fruit. It doesn't mean that you're not a Christian and it doesn't mean that God doesn't love you and it doesn't mean that you don't love God. You're just in a season where things need to change. And one of the things that Jesus taught us in John 15 is that with those branches that aren't bearing fruit, the divine heavenly gardener comes and prunes those branches. Why? So that they might bear more fruit. Of all the divine power that's in you, drawing from the resources of God, God, he wants to use you. And I know you don't want to be useless, and I know I'm speaking to just a few right now, but to the few that are important in the sight of God, I know you don't want to be useless and unprofitable. And so come clean before God today. Present yourself a living sacrifice and begin to dedicate yourself more to the things of God than to what's captured your attention and taking you away from usefulness in the master's hands. Notice, here's the tool that God uses in verse 12. He says, For the word of God is living and powerful, sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing even to the division of soul and spirit, joints and marrow, and as a discerner of the thoughts and the intents of the heart. I'm telling you guys, the Bible is alive. There is no book on the planet Earth that is alive. And you can't even say it like the Bible because there's no other book, period, that's alive. You can go down to the Aurora Library and search every single book on the shelf. And unless you pull the Bible off the shelf, all of those books are dead. Only the Bible is alive. There's no book, no commentary, no dictionary, no novel, no encyclopedia. There is no other book that God has given that has life except for the Bible. This book, the one that's on your lap, the one that's on your phone, the one that's on your iPad, there is no other book that imparts life to its hearers than the Word of God. That's what the Bible declares of itself. It says, it declares of itself, it says, all Scripture is given by inspiration of God. These are the very words of God. This, this book doesn't just contain a few words from God. God was so specific in giving, him, giving us his revelation of himself and his will for our lives that he wrote it down for us and inspired godly men and used their hands and their personalities to write down for us what will impart life to us every single time we open it and read it. And there are five things you notice here about the Bible. Five things. Number one, the Bible is living. It contains life and it imparts life. The words are inspired by the Holy Spirit. The very autographs, the very originals were inspired by God so that the translation that you have today reflecting the original manuscripts imparts life to you through the power of the Holy Spirit. That all you need to do is read it. That's all you need to do. And here's a mistake that has been made by so many today, and I know it'll relate to many of you, because we believe, and if we were to say this, I hope you've memorized this verse, just to be reminded of where to go when there's a need for life in, in your circumstance. You want to open the Bible, but here's what's happened over the years. What's happened over the years is that we've come to believe something different about the Bible, and it usually sounds something like this. You're, you're reading through the Bible and you understand this, you understand this, and then you don't understand that, and then you set the Bible aside because your belief has changed to the, Bible, the parts of the Bible that I understand are living and powerful and sharper than any two-edged sword. 
And, and you know, every, every beginning of the year, we encourage you to read through the Bible. We give you a little plan to read through the Bible. And then many of you jump off and go, I'm going to read the Bible this year. Read through Genesis. Oh, this is great. Creation and the life of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, and Joseph. This is great. Get into Exodus. Oh, the, the people of God in, in slavery to Egypt. And God raises up Moses. And they're delivered. And they come out. Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus. What is this? And what does this mean? And then many people set it aside. Some endure Leviticus, but you know, Leviticus gives in us God's prescription for worship and honoring him in the old covenant. It's a very powerful book that is living and powerful. Leviticus is just as alive as the Gospel of John. You know that, right? (laughs) The whole Bible is alive and powerful. It's not just the parts you understand. It's even the parts you don't understand. That's why you need to keep reading even when you don't understand. And that's why we bring seminars here that will teach you inductively how to handle the text, how to simply read through the Bible, how to look up words, how to understand context. And, and it's, it's not like a school class. You can understand. You can understand the Bible in such a way where every time you open it up, you can just do the work in your mind as you're reading, oh, that's interesting. And I see that now. And I have a question. And, and there are a lot of great resources that, because when people don't understand the Bible, then, then there's always those that go, oh, I don't read the Bible because it has filled with contradictions. Really? Whenever somebody says that, I, I always have two responses. Number one, have you ever read the Bible? Well, uh, yeah, um, well, uh, yeah. Uh, okay, so the part of the Bible you read, you got, so give me a contradiction. Give me anyone. Because I'm telling you, any perceived contradiction in the Bible, there's an answer. <laughs> there's a great book. It's not in print anymore, but if you want to buy it used, you can look for it. It's called When Critics Ask. When Critics Ask by Norman Geisler, G-E-I-S. L-E-R. It's a book I refer to all the time. He does such a great job with Bible difficulties because there are definitely difficulties in the Bible, but not any contradictions. Another resource that you can, uh, you know, get the book, but you can also bookmark this website, blueletterbible.org, blueletterbible.org, because it's filled with Bible resources to help answer questions when you're reading the Bible. But the Bible, number one, is living. Number two, it's powerful. If you like to write in your Bibles, you can circle the word powerful and just write next to it, energy. It not only imparts life, but it imparts energy and strength to your current situation. It speaks life and power that we've been given God's divine power and it's imparted to us through the knowledge of Jesus Christ in his word so that God will use his word to provide energy to us. Thirdly, notice, it's also sharper. The Bible is sharp, and it's compared to a two-edged sword, a two-edged sword. And so when you think about that, a two-edged sword cuts both ways. It cuts both ways. You mean, you say, Ed, what do you mean by that? Well, man, I'm telling you, Christians tend to use the Bible more against others than to themselves, you know? You know, like right now, you're listening to a Bible study and God's speaking to you, speaking to you, but you're, the person sitting next to you has got like bruised ribs because every time I say something, you go, that was for you, that was for you, that was for you, that was for you. Okay, so maybe it was for them. That's, a, that's cutting one way, but guess what? The sword's coming back whoosh, right to you. 
See, we always hear the Bible. You go, oh, I got that scripture. That's for you. Here, you got to hear this Bible study. That's for you. Okay, so as you're hearing the Bible for other people, what's for you? Because the Bible cuts both ways. It it reminded me of a very difficult time in in my early Christian walk uh, in my marriage. I was very, before I got saved, I was a horrible man. Uh, I was a horrible man to Marie as my girlfriend. I was a horrible man uh, to Marie as the mother of my child, as a teenager. And I was a horrible man after we got married. And, and even after I got saved, I was still very rough around the edges as a new believer. And I was just so, so uh, eager to read the Bible. So I'm reading the Bible, reading the Bible, reading the Bible. And I came across this verse that said, Wives, submit to your own husbands as unto the Lord. And being the wise, rough around the edges Bible scholar that I was, I got together with Marie, opened my Bible, turned it around, and I said, look, babe, I've been right all along. (laughs) And you know, we we can laugh at it today. We really can, and Marie was here for service. But it was no laughing matter because I had used the Bible against my wife. That scripture wasn't intended to back up my bad behavior. God didn't put that scripture in there intended for me to rule over my wife and treat her like a piece of property instead of the precious woman that she is. But I had used that, that verse in a way to swipe at her because I should have kept reading. Because the Bible says, husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church. That's the two-edged sword for me. I don't need to be so concerned about my wife and her submission to me. That's between her and the Lord. What I need to be concerned about is how I love my wife unconditionally in the power of the Holy Spirit. How I draw from God all of his love. And I I am so enamored on how much he loves me and what a failure I am that I might turn around and love my wife and serve her and take care of her and sacrifice for her just like Jesus Christ does for the church. That's the verse for me. Husbands, that's the verse for you. So if you're laying this heavy trip on your wife about submission, if that's the big argument in your marriage, I would even say this. If the word submission is actually coming up in your arguments, man, come and ask for some help because it's not going to be solved that way. Because the word of God to you, men, love your wives as Christ loved the church. You know what I found? I found this in my own marriage, but I've also found it in other marriages, is that when a husband loves his wife as Christ loved the church, when a husband serves his wife, when a husband sacrifices, man, ladies have no problem submitting to a husband that loves. It's not even an issue. There's unity and fellowship in a marriage like that. And, and there is a sense where we have to remember the word of God isn't for other people when you open it all the time. It's for you. It's not for you to slice and dice somebody's life and to be hypercritical and judging all the time but rather allowing the Holy Spirit to bring you into a place where God is speaking into your heart. And I'm grateful over the years God has done a wonderful work in our marriage. And next year will be 30 years. It's just amazing how fast time goes, how gracious God has been with us, how wonderful he has, and how, although we're not perfect, we're certainly not a perfect marriage. There's a lot of love in our home and a lot of submission unto the Lord. And it's a beautiful thing. Number four, not only is, a, is, is the Bible compared to a sword that's sharp, two-edged sword, but it also pierces. Do you see that? <laughs> you know, because swords have tips to them, <laughs> and it pierces. These are some of the reasons why people don't read the Bible. Because you can read a novel and never be convicted. 
You can read a manual on how to fix a car and never get convicted. But I'm telling you, every single time you open the Bible, it will pierce you if you allow it. Not only that, but notice number five, it not only pierces, but it is a discerner of the thoughts and the intents of the heart. Like you and I, we are laid bare before God with the Bible open today. Some of you listening in, whether you're here in this room or you're listening on the radio somewhere, you're like mad at me already in this Bible study. And one of the reasons you're mad is because through the Bible study, God has said something through my lips directly to you from his word that has upset you, thinking that somebody told me about you, that it's so precise. And how did he know? I'll just tell you right now, I don't know. Nobody told me about you, but God knows. Isn't that what verse 13 says? Oh yeah, that's exactly what verse 13 says. There is no creature hidden from his sight, but all things are naked and open to the eyes of him to whom we must give account. Nothing is hidden before God today. And I know we all came to church, we all gathered together fully clothed. We are all fully clothed. Praise God for that. We're all fully clothed, but not before God. Everything is open and naked before God today. There is no hidden. You know, this idea of covering up comes to us from our ancestors in the Garden of Eden, Adam and Eve. When they failed miserably and they chose to run away from God, one of the first things they chose to do was to cover up their private parts. That's what the Bible teaches. They were ashamed in their nakedness. And you know, there's a lot of privacy, a lot of private parts of your lives today, a lot of shadows in the closets that you're trying to cover up. And you might be doing a good job right now of covering that private part of your life up from us or from your spouse or from your parents. But the Bible says there is nothing hidden before God. And you know, there's nothing hidden from you either because you know. So you know and God knows. You know, I see this a lot in the body of Christ, this sense of even counsel to cover up. You know, there, there's this counsel, well, you know, as long as you've repented before God, then you don't need to go tell the other people. You know, something happened in a marriage, and you go, well, I repented from God. Should I tell my spouse? And actually, people say, no, don't even tell your spouse. What horrible counsel. Because if you choose not to tell your spouse of something you've lied to them, you're going to live in perpetual dishonesty with your spouse. You need to come clean, not only before God, but before those you've affected. You need to walk in unity with the Lord. You know, it was, a many, it was about 10 years ago in the life of this church and our leadership, and our pastoral leadership and some of the leaders, myself included, that a really dark time came. I made some mistakes as a leader. Uh, I, I didn't oversee very well, which created an environment some other guys really didn't oversee very well. And it was just a really bad time. It, and it created time with guys who were lying and deceit. I mean, it's exactly what the enemy would want in a church. And I'm very, very grateful that God stopped it and arrested it and, and gave me the wisdom to lead along with the elders of the church and clean that up and get back on the right track and not live that way anymore. And, and not have a leadership that would be so living in the shadows and lying to one another and being dishonest one another and taking advantage. It was a real bad time. And praise God, we're 10 years past it. But after we got through this, God gave me a verse that would be the banner of our leadership. I just shared it with the staff uh, not this, this last Wednesday. Can you turn over to 1 John chapter 1 with me, please? 
as we wind down today. First John chapter one. It's very important that we live like this. We live like this in the staff of our church, uh, the pastoral team, the spiritual leadership of our church. It's very important that you live like this with your kids, that you live like this in your marriage, that you live like this in your friendship. You know, one thing that the Bible proves to us in a culture that values or encourage passive aggressiveness, God is not passive aggressive. He just says it like it is. He just tells you directly. There's no game playing with God. There's no maneuvering. God doesn't manipulate you. He doesn't try to take advantage of you. He doesn't play these games and, well, what about this? And I was just talking to a brother as he was talking about some compliments he received on a recent trip. Uh, There were those that were giving him what are called, I don't know if you've heard this phrase before, but it's left-handed compliments, where it's kind of a compliment, but it's putting another person down at the same time. God doesn't do that. He, He is straight and clean and clear of exactly what he wants from us. And I'm so grateful for that. That that in our lives we shouldn't be passive aggressive. We should just be honest and open, living in fellowship with one another, that we might be known for our love for one another and our care for one another, that we wouldn't be talking about people behind their back. We wouldn't be gossiping. We wouldn't be slandering. We wouldn't be trying to make ourselves look better by putting someone else down. It just shouldn't be that way in the body of Christ. And so here's the the verse. Go over to 1 John chapter 1, uh, beginning in verse 5. 1 John chapter 1, verse 5. This is the message which we've heard from him and declare to you, that God is light, And in him is no darkness at all. If we say that we have fellowship with him, we walk in darkness, we lie, and we do not practice the truth. And here's the key, verse 7. But if we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another, and the blood of Jesus Christ, his son, cleanses us from all sin. We need to regularly, moment by moment, choose to walk in the light. Choose to be truthful. Choose to not lie to one another. Sometimes you choose not to tell the truth because you're so afraid of what someone will think or someone will do, and you try to control the situation by lying about it. But I'm telling you right now, by lying about it, you're only making it worse because now you've got the situation and now you've got the consequences of lying to someone. And might I just put it this way? Lying gives the death blow to relationship. The breaking of trust separates even the closest of friends. And I think it's in the Proverbs that, you know, an offended brother is hard to win over like a walled city. And I just plead with you, church, from the word of God, knowing that everything's open before God, that you would walk in truth with each other, that you wouldn't entertain the lies of someone else or get, jump into the mud of sin with someone, but rather point them to the Lord and give them the counsel of the word. It's for these reasons and many more, church, that here at Calvary Chapel, we are committed to the teaching of God's word. It is a commitment we will never veer from. The methodology that we use, because every church has a methodology, our methodology is to teach you the Bible, verse by verse, chapter by chapter, book by book, starting in Genesis, finishing in Revelation, and if the Lord doesn't come back, starting over again. Now, the The timing of that, here in this particular Calvary, we haven't been going all that fast through the Bible, but we've made our way through just about two-thirds of the Bible together. 
I haven't counted the books lately, but all of those studies, even if you haven't been with us in the last 19 years, all of those studies are posted on our website as well as our app, our free app. And so we have been through the Bible and we're gonna go through the Bible verse by verse, chapter by chapter, until Jesus comes back. We are committed to the word of God. When you come to church, you don't need the opinions of man. When you come to church, you don't need some, some other thing other than the word of God. You don't, you don't need to be shown, you know, like, hey, let's do a series on all the popular movies and then see what the Bible has to say about, no, you don't, when you come to church, that's the last thing you need is an R-rated movie. You need Jesus Christ. You need to hear the word of God in your life. You need to be stirred up. Like, we are committed. I know other churches use other methods. I get this. And yes, I'm getting a little fired up, so calm down. But it breaks my heart because I deal with the difficulties of churches not giving the word of God. I deal with the broken lives. That's, my, that's what God has called me to do. That's what my life is taken up with, ministering to people that have been crushed by being misused and mishandled by a church or a leadership that doesn't use the word of God. Like when you come here and you ask for counsel, we're gonna give you the word of God. And if you don't like pastor number one and you go to pastor two, number two, they're gonna tell you the same thing. And pastor three, they're gonna tell you the same thing. And you get all the way up to me, I hope I tell you the same thing. And I hope you just listen, you know, personally, I just hope you listen to the first guy that talks to you because the counsel's the same because the Bible doesn't change. And here's what happens. And we see this happen here more often than not. Somebody will come in, they'll ask for advice, they'll ask for counsel, we give it to them, they don't like it. They might call back, get another pastor, they don't like it. Pastor number three, oh, I want to talk to Ed. I hear from me, they do, I give them the same counsel. So they go, forget this, I hate this church. They're not telling me what I want to hear. So then they go around town looking for a church until they finally find someone. You know, maybe the issue is drunkenness. They go, well, you know what? The Bible says no drunkenness. So pastor two, no drunkenness. And then they find the church that has a drunken home fellowship. Yay, this is a church for me. We just bring our own whiskey and beer and let's get drunk with the Bible open. Listen, it's fulfillment of Bible prediction. Did you know that? That in the last days, because people's ears are tickling to hear what they want to hear, people will actually raise up for themselves teachers that will tell them what they want to hear. That's in all of us, you know that. Because the Bible pierces all of us. The Bible cuts all of us. And there's just that sense sometimes where, you know, I just wish somebody would tell me what I want to hear. Well, you don't need to hear what you want to hear. You need to hear the word of God. And we're committed to it. That even today, if you're visiting today, well, you know what, I don't want that kind of church. But then a year later, you come back. I hope we're doing the same. I mean, as a matter of fact, if you come back in another year, I'll tell you one thing, we're still gonna be in Hebrews. It's gonna take us some time. So you come back and go, man, these guys are still in Hebrews? Yes, there's a lot of words and chapters in Hebrews. Because we're gonna finish it all from beginning to end in its context, in the entirety of the scriptures. We're gonna cover every truth in it. And we're going to give you God's word. It's my responsibility. I think it's every pastor's responsibility, but it's my personal responsibility as a pastor teacher to study the word of God in prayer. That's my primary responsibility, just like in the book of Acts, in Acts chapter six. It's not my responsibility to take care of all the needs of the church, that God would give us elders and deacons and pastors and leaders to take care of the needs. But I have to not leave the word of God in prayer to serve tables, but I have to study the word of God for you and spend a lot of time doing it and make sure that I'm handling the word of God in a way that I can deliver the word that will move you to action and obedience to God, to remind you of his love and his grace and his goodness to bring us all to a place where we desire to follow him 
with all of our lives. And I'm committed to do that. And you know, it takes a lot of endurance to do that. You know, I'm, there's a lot of drama in church for a pastor, a lot of difficulty in church for a pastor, a, a lot of craziness, a, a lot of warfare, a lot of attacks, a lot of things, but I've committed and resolved over and over and over again to deal with the drama, to deal with the difficulties, to deal with all of the backlash and all of the warfare, to make sure and to set aside my own agenda and my, to die to myself so that I might fulfill my calling in your life. If it's for a week or a month or a year or you're here until the coming of the Lord, it is my commitment to you to teach you the Bible, to apply it in your life, and to give it to you week after week, m- month after month, year after year. We will not veer from that. Ever, never, ever. It will be the word of God on which our lives are built here at this church. That's all you're going to get. You're you're not going to get anything else. And if you do, don't accept it. Only the word of God will give you strength. No spiritual growth comes apart from the word of God. No substantive change comes comes apart from the word of God. The spirit of God working through the word of God in the people of God. That is the way it's always been and that's the way it always will be. It's my responsibility, you, you know, like, like a restaurant, like taking the word of God and preparing a good meal for you so you might feast and feed on the word of God. And so, you know, there's those good parts of the Bible. You can equate that to, you know, it's Labor Day, so you have a barbecue right now and you're like, man, I'm just gonna barbecue a nice big steak. Except for you vegans and everything, you have a substitute, so... I'll make that for you too. I don't know what it is, but it's probably got beans and leaves and other things in it. So we'll make that for you too, because I know some of you have to eat that way. But, but for the most part, you got this nice steak, exactly what you want on Labor Day. And it's, it, you know, the meat of the word. It's a, just the things that we know we love. You know, we love, God loves us. He's filled with grace toward us. And all of the wonderful things that we receive, the easier things to receive. But then on the same plate, you know, there's the mashed potato, there's the sweet potato fries, there's that side. But then in the corner, I don't know how big your corner is, but mine's very, very small. You have the place where it's reserved for peas. So peas are nasty. They're not, they, when you put them in your mouth and they're just, they're green, they're all wrinkled like your hands when you're in the pool and you're just like, peas? But you know, peas want them. And then, and then there's a little space there for peas and, and broccoli. Broccoli, that looks like a deformed tree and just like, like, what's that doing on my plate? And then of course, There are the stunted growth cabbages. Brussels sprouts. The nastiest vegetable in the whole wide world. What, parents, what are you doing to your kids? Sometimes there's something you take, it just doesn't look good, doesn't taste good. And I know some of you go, well, Ed, if you put enough butter on it, then I'll eat it. Okay, I'll put the butter on it for you, but it's still what it is. And there are parts of the Bible that just pierce to the heart, aren't there? And I'm not going to hesitate to share them with you. Not because I don't like you, but because I do like you and I love you. And someone that loves you will tell you the truth. And we'll go through the whole Bible together. You know, the Bible pierces me as much as it pierces you. You know, I have to go through these studies long before you ever hear them. And the Lord just ministering to me and speaking to my heart and speaking to me where I'm at. These studies are for our church, and this is my church. This is part of my church. I'm I'm a part of the body here. 
And it's, I'm committed. You just have to know. If you're listening on the radio and you're looking for a church that teaches the Bible, we're going to teach the Bible. We're not going to get away from it. We're not going to go away from it. All of the different trends, all of the different programs, all the different weirdness that enters into churches, we commit here at Calvary to hold fast to the Word of God because it is living and powerful, sharper than any two-edged sword. And I'm, I'm living proof that the Spirit of God, using the Word of God through the people of God, He changed my life. I am new creation in Christ. Old things have passed away. Behold, all things have become new. And the same is true for you. So Father, as we end our time together and we just thank you for your faithfulness, we thank you for the Bible. Um, It's not something I think we would have made up on our own, God. Um, It's something that you have given to us. And I ask you, God, for the strength to persevere with all the drama and nonsense that come with being a pastor that I just might have wisdom on how to minister to people that are hard and difficult, that I would have the strength to minister to people that aren't, um, that aren't hard and difficult at all, that I might not lose heart and grow weary. And I pray that for the men and women that serve alongside of me. I think of the pastoral team and their wives and their kids. I think of our precious teachers who just are investing in the next generation. I pray for our administrative team that work. I pray for the volunteers and the lay leaders I'm so grateful to be a part of this vibrant church, God. But we get tired and it gets hard. And I know our missionaries, as they launch out, they they get that sense of feeling alone and isolated because they don't have this every day. They don't have the ability to come. You call them out of this and it's not as easy as it might seem to move to a, a foreign country, to learn a foreign language, and to eat different food and different languages and different personalities. And so I pray for the Johnsons I pray for Amanda. I pray for the foxes. I pray for the Dazans and the Philippines. And, and, and I just go through everyone, you know, the clay camps. I, I pray, God, for um, the, the missionaries in Italy, uh, just what you're doing uh, for Lorenzo and Bethany. And just so many, just so much, Lord. Pour out your spirit on us as we head out into the world today. And may you have your way in our lives. In Jesus' name, amen. We pray that you've been encouraged by this Bible study delivered live from the sanctuary of Calvary Aurora. For prayer or a copy of this study, call us at 877-30-GRACE. That's 877-304-7223. Or visit us online at calvaryaurora.org. Be blessed as you worship Jesus this week.